0: Hi everyone, my name's Steve Tudor and welcome to the last in a four-part series entitled Our World Cup Lives, which sees 9320 contributors pick out five memorable, meaningful World Cup games from their lifetime and how they corresponded with events closer to home. Joining us today is Ali, a lifelong Blue and a Scotland fan, which throughout the 80s and 90s pretty much made him the most battle-hardened supporter in the land. But as City turned their fortunes around, Scotland at least provided some unforgettable moments, if not successes. So let's explore
1: the latter. Hi Ali, you there? You well? I am, thanks, yeah, and I hope everyone can hear me okay. We've had all sorts of weirdnesses on my microphone and my laptop and things, so uh, apologies if I'm sounding a bit muffled or, or uh, hungover, hung <laughs> <Could actually laughs> yes. I quite a lot. It, it, yeah. uh, I, I fed my family at uh, what, about half past. Last night, and I finally got it ready, and had to explain that Daddy had a uh, started drinking early today.
0: Today, (laughs) (laughs) I haven't even started yet. I've been good as gold. Um, I think Thursday onwards, yeah, I may well hit the booze. But um... yeah, well, it was it was the World Cup final, exactly. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, Um, yeah. We are indeed going to. That is actually. Spoiler alert! One of your choices, we've kind of put it in at the last minute because it was such an incredible game, which we'll get to. But looking at the tournament as a whole, um, I've asked everyone how much they've enjoyed it. I think now that it's over, a good question would be how different has it been from what you maybe expected going into the tournament. Uh, I'll say the
1: football has been a lot better than I expected. Um, mm. Credit where due. has been. You know so many really good matches and the the standard of football has been probably higher than any World Cup ever, arguably I think maybe um and you know surprise results along the way and all kinds of uh interesting weird things going on. Uh, so yeah you know, on the pitch has been great fun, but it's you know what above uh, above all, I kind of felt a bit like when football was going on in the pandemic and there were no crowds and there was an artificial noise in the, in the yeah on the commentary and all those kind of things. And it was football and it was enjoyable to watch and I would rather watch it than not watch it. But there was something about it that was just not quite right. It didn't feel proper. Um, And this World Cup has has been in a way a bit like that. I've I've kind of, uh, you know, you can't get away from the fact that, you know, however many people, whether it's, you know, dozens or hundreds or thousands of people died making it possible. Um, I mean, we, we could talk all day about the the politics of, of you know, Gulf State's involvement in football. Um, we've, <laughs> we've been there before and I'm sure we'll be there again. Uh, but it, I, it felt like a step backwards in terms of how they, they um, you know, clamped down on, on rainbow flags in the stadium mm. and that kind of thing. It, it actually felt like there was, you know, we were having the three steps back to some of the two steps forward that was added to all of recent years. So there was all these undercounts of things that, you know, really weren't right. But when all said and done, it it was a World Cup, and it, it did still produce some memorable moments. And um, I, I must admit, I'm really looking forward to proper football coming back. Uh, but fair play, World Cup. Yeah, you know, on on your own terms, you did deliver. Yeah,
0: I I think the whole kind of banning of the rainbow flag, etc., and t shirt, and and you know, it just seems so. Through, through my eyes, it just seems so unnecessary and counterproductive. Um, you you, you think. And, and the banning of alcohol as well, kind of, what was it, 24 hours before the tournament began. Um, yeah, it, it just seemed kind of um, belligerent and antagonistic and unnecessary. Um, in, in addition to everything else that was wrong with it, of course, as well. Yeah. Um, so as well as being kind of appalled by it, I was also surprised by it. Um, yeah, there's there's not a lot of kind of diplomatic... Kind of meeting people halfway there, was
1: there? <laughs> there wasn't. I mean, I think they, they felt, um, uh, what's the word, you know, empowered, um, uh, kind of, uh, they felt as if they were on the front foot. I think they could yes. push people yeah. around and they could push the, the, uh, you know, the Western football culture around. And to be fair, Western football culture needs to be pushed around, the case, yeah, right. <laughs> but preferably not in those ways, um. So yeah, I, I think there was there was definitely there was a show of power at the outset of the tournament when when they just ran arbitrarily changed the rules about alcohol in stadiums and uh, and well as far as we can tell arbitrarily changed the rules about you know whether you could wear a rainbow bucket hat for heaven's sake. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah it it seemed as well as being abhorrent, it also seems silly, um, yeah. which yeah. Um, but let's get to kind of. Um, a nicer note um, by looking back into the past. I mean, first of all, what was the first World Cup that you remember, kind of vividly?
1: That's a good question. It, to be honest, the first one that I remember vividly is 1978, mm-hmm. uh, which again we'll come back to that in due course. Uh, but the, yeah. I was, um, to to put everything that I say in perspective, I was born at the end of 1966. Um, so I was officially in utero when the, the worst thing that ever happened to Scottish football happened in July 1966. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I missed that. Uh, <laughs> but it kind of coloured everything that happened after. Um, and uh, the what I remember of World Cup football from when I was very young. So the 1970 World Cup happened when I was kind of three and a half going on four Mm. Um, and I don't remember. It, it would have been on in the house, you know, while I was sitting around because I remember kids' TV being cancelled for football being on, you know. Yes. <laughs> which, which, when you're three and a half, is is a serious outrage. And, and um, Ali, uh, where was this when you were about? Four? Oh, so yeah, this would have been uh, in Paris when I grew up. In right. Okay. Um, and from when I first started going to school and we first began playing football in playgrounds, which would have been round about 1970, 1971, there was one match that overshadowed Hmm. everything that we knew and thought about football, but particularly international football and particularly the World Cup, and that was the final in 1970. Um, I am of an age to have grown up with the mythology of Pele. Um, I didn't really grow up with him as a player by the time I was old enough to take any of it in. Um, he would have been off playing in New York Cosmos and, and you know kind of approaching party and, and you know seeing out the last days of his career. Uh, so while he, while he was playing at the time live, um, I never really had any consciousness of it. What I did have though is a, a playground footballing culture where Pele was the pinnacle, he was the god. Um, when we uh, when, when we were through, one and one, the goalkeeper and, and, uh, and tapping it through his legs, the name we would shout—it wasn't you know Billy Bremner or you know Danny McGrain or whoever might have been the Scottish hero at the time—it was Pelle. we Yeah, um, and so much of that came from uh, the the mythology of the 1970 World Cup final against Italy, um, and so when i thought about what you know, my engagement with the world cup over you know 55 years of, of my life um i had to begin with that game the 1970 final because it shaped everything i thought about the world cup to this day um and when i think about for example uh, how I look on the Brazil of Neymar and Richarlison and basically a load of shit these nowadays, and um, it's very much coloured by what I expect from Brazil, and that goes back to that game in 1970. Um, I, I remember the the learning as a kind of factoid that uh, jorginho had gone through and scored in every match of the World Cup and was the only mm-hmm. player ever to do so. Um, and scored a third goal in the 1970 final. Um, that that feat alone. I mean, um, Messi even this time round nearly. He nearly matched it, not quite. Yeah. Um, and Jardino's not even the the big star of that team. He's not even the second big star of that team. Um, and yet there he was, like delivering these astonishing football achievements. So, so I mean, I guess everybody has seen the footage and, and watched the highlights i remember back in the 1980s i think itv did a kind of world cup classic series where they re showed in in full a lot of matches and that's i think the only or the first time that i saw the whole match um may have watched it again since um, and i just i remember being amazed at I mean, to a certain extent how slow it all was oh yeah I walking place. yeah walk, I mean, walking football is, is really quite odd when you see it now because it, it yeah, occasionally um People even uh, longer than I will have discussions about how the, uh, for example, how the Manchester City team of nineteen seventy would fare against the Manchester City team of twenty twenty two or whatever. Um, and when you go back and you look at the football from that team, you, from that time, you see that no player from that era would have a hope of lasting five minutes. Mm. Um, so it it, uh, it was a different game, but that said, the skill and the beauty and the craft. That went into creating those goals, into creating those moments, um, and especially the the uh, the fourth goal, the Carlos Alberto goal that we've all seen. Uh, so much build up, so many you know beautiful, intricate passes. And by this time, it must be said, uh, Italy are on their knees. I mean, they're they're well beaten. They're not really even chasing the ball. But that moment where there's, there must have been, I don't know, 10 or 20 passes until it gets to Pelli. Um, he's standing uh, probably 25 yards out, more or less in the middle, and he just turns and plays this ball into space, into yeah. nowhere, yeah. Down, down the hole on, on the right-hand side of the pitch. And the first time you see it, it's like, what, you know, what the hell have you just done? And then you see Carlos Alberto arriving like a fighter jet, down the wing and just connecting with the most beautiful—I um, I, I don't know what the technical name is—when you're you're standing to leave the ground and and all the power goes straight through the ball and it flies into the bottom corner. And it is to the to this day. I mean, it, it, it's all about the mythology and it's all about the legends. But it mm. is still my favorite World Cup goal of all time. Um, even ahead of one or two others that we can go and talk about next. Well, have you I- watched, have you watched 1970 games?
0: Um, yes, I remember that actually. When you said it about uh, in the nineteen eighties, I remember seeing the whole game. Um, and, and the thing, I, the thing I want to point out, and of course you'll know this, and and everyone listening will know this, but it, it's always worth bearing out in a game where Brazil was just so imperious and so beautiful and so brilliant. This Italy side was magnificent. This was not, yeah, yeah, this this, this was not, you know, kind of playing an average team who'd reached a final. This was a vintage Italian side. I mean, Mazzola, Riva, some incredible players. Fischetti, the the captain, Um, they claim, Italy have always claimed that they were absolutely shattered because if any game could possibly surpass this one, it was their semi-final game against West Germany, which was a 4-3 classic in extra time. And I think something like, you know, Five of the goals were in extra time. Um, and they claim that this was four days later and they were still absolutely dead on their feet because, you know, we're talking about searing heat out there in Mexico City. So yeah. perhaps it's true, but that's to take nothing away from Brazil's achievements that day, of course. And, and you go through the lineup and it's just Rivellino, Tostão, Pele. Oh my God. Um, but how much of that? Because you, you use a really kind of pertinent word i think is the mythology yeah. i've been raised on it too how much of it is down to the fact that it's become mythical and you know that the, the colors and the i don't know a technical term for it but the before you know the pristine um Colorization we have of televisions today—it's it, yeah. it's kind of quite blocky, isn't it? Um, and the heat and the spider's shadows on the pitch and all the rest of it—how um, much of it is down to that? Do you think, in addition to what was obviously an incredible team?
1: I think that's part of it. I think one of the, the striking things is that it was the first World Cup that a lot of people saw in colour. Yes, yeah. Um, and when, when I think back of, of 1966 is the world cup in black and white and 1970 is a world cup in color and it's kind of um, you know not only was 1956 literally just before I was born as I, I said earlier and and the match that must not be discussed if you grow up in Scotland <laughs> in the 70s um, but beyond that, uh, 1956 feels like the old days and 1970 feels like the beginning of my era. And I think simply the colorization of the telly, you know, the fact that people had color TVs by 1970. And it was one of those things, in the same way as, like, by by legend, the the coronation in 1953 was when loads of people went out and bought a black and white telly. Yeah. It was the World Cup in 1970 that loads of people, you know, the families of my friends, we grew up, you know, people went out and bought a color TV for that World Cup. And it kind of changed our culture, you know, in in quite a significant way. And just, all the football when you when you see um know yeah, when you see the images in color of Pele lifting the World Cup um the and that that was the third one and it was a jewel remake trophy wasn't it and it was the one yes. that they kept yeah um so that was the last time we saw the jewel jewel remake trophy as well uh and just those images in color. It, it it kind of feels like a bit like where it all began, sort of 1966, feels to me like the old days. Now, I'm sure if you're English and, and a few years older than me, you would feel very differently about that. But, hey, this is my podcast. <laughs> <Thank you. laughs> well, it, it's, you know, similar
0: to Kubrick in 2001, isn't it? It's that famous cut of the, you know, the bone being thrown into the air too, and into a spacecraft. And um, 1970 yeah. was very much a spacecraft, I think. Um, oh, yeah. But I, then kind of fast forward in eight years, you're now mm-hmm. 12 and i've mentioned on a podcast before a city fan saying to me once about his son you are never more into football than when you're 12 years old and that really struck a chord in me because was absolutely true of myself i was obsessed when i was 12 and i've been obsessed ever since but i was obsessed um this was must have been a very special world cup for you then scotland you know, the, the, again, we can look at the mythology of, of the sites. You know, Argentina, yep. I know obviously it's the final, the ticker tape, and all of it, but still, it was such a colourful finals, wasn't it? Thanks for listening to the first 15 minutes of the show. To listen to the full podcast and all our contents, including reviews, previews, analysis, quizzes, and much more, go to 9320.com to sign up now or simply click the link in the description. So what are you waiting for? Go to 9320.com now for the best, most passionate, impartial coverage of Manchester City and beyond.